If you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Psalm, specifically Psalm 1. Psalm 1, and as you're turning to Psalm 1, I want you to also mark Psalm 119. So Psalm chapter 1 and then Psalm 119. I know many of you are looking at my shirt wondering what it is. I've had comments all throughout the day. I know that Michael Jordan just finished his documentary yesterday, and that's great, but I still believe the greatest of all time is Kobe Bryant. And so as everybody is on this Jordan kick right now, I just wanted to remind you, I think Kobe's the GOAT. Uh, No two ways about it. I think he was a better shooter. Anyway, Psalm 1 and Psalm 119. Last week we talked about our words. A big topic. A practical topic. Tonight we're going to talk about our thoughts and our mind. Not as practical, but important. What you do with your thought life matters. What you think about, what goes on in your mind, and how you use your mind. It matters. It's important. Uh, So we're switching from external words to internal thoughts. Now this is what I want to give you. This is the entire sermon in a sentence. Uh, I love sermon in a sentence. is back tonight. This is my whole sermon in one sentence. Here it is. Write this down. It's the title. It's everything. The Lord of your thoughts is the Lord of your life. The Lord of your thoughts is the Lord of your life. In other words, whoever rules your mind rules you. (laughs) What you think about the most will have the most impact and influence on everything you do. It is literally the Lord and the ruler. I just mentioned Kobe Bryant a minute ago, but there's an illustration in that. Kobe Bryant was very devoted to basketball, and so his mind throughout his whole career was centered on basketball. Which means that everything he did went back to basketball. His diet, uh, his workout schedule, his sleep schedule, all of it centered on basketball and being the best athlete he can be. And you are probably athletes out there as well. You probably play sports. You're in better shape than I am. There are athletes out there that obsess over a sport. Why do you obsess over it? Because to be the best you can at it, then everything you do has to revolve around that sport. you got to eat right. you got to train. you got to do all these different kind of things. One of the saddest parts about people in college, if I could be real with you, I don't want to come out swinging too hard too early, but listen, one of the realest things is that there are athletes who are more familiar with their sport than there are Christians who are familiar with their Lord. I know, it hurt me too. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid, but somebody's got to say it. I got to say it, man. Sometimes I know more about Kobe than I, knew, than I know about Jesus. And there you go. I said it. I'm out there. I should not know more about Kobe than I should Jesus. You and I should not know more about worldly things than we should about Jesus if he's our Lord. But usually what we give our most thought life to, that is the ruler and the Lord over us. Even good things, such as spiritual disciplines. If we miss the relationship aspect of spiritual disciplines, then we can miss Jesus in our disciplines when he's the one we do it for. So it's a huge idea. I want to pose it to you like this. Your thoughts are like a pilot to a plane. (laughs) Very straightforward. I want you to remember this. Your thoughts are like the pilot to a plane. Daniel, what do you mean? The pilot determines the direction of the plane. If a pilot does not know the path that has been given to him by a trusted authority, he will veer off course. (laughs) And the same is true for you and me. If you are not trusting your thoughts with the higher authority who approves them, then you will veer off course of God's plan for your life. So where are you going? Are you on that path God's leading you, or are your thoughts causing you to be distracted? See, we have an authority who has approved us. Not only that, but the pilot is the one who determines the altitude of the plane. 
too high or too low is dangerous for a plane. And let me tell you something. Your thoughts will determine your mood. And being too high or too low is dangerous to your soul. Did you know that? See, if you don't have your thought life under control, then you're going to go too high, everything's a mountaintop, and you're going to go too low, everything's a valley. Which that's not the way that Christ has designed us to live. You see, a pilot needs to know the altitude so that he can safely fly the plane. Paul literally tells us in Colossians how his thought life kept him consistent, how he didn't get too high on those mountains and how he didn't get too low on those valleys. He says in Colossians 3.2 when he says, set your, th- set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. So if you want to know where you're cruising at, <laughs> You need to know what your mind is at. It's important. It makes a difference in our life. It's huge. In the same way that a pilot takes a plane up above this earth, God has given you a mind in order to meditate on things that are far above this earth. (laughs) Heaven. He's given you a mind that can meditate on heaven so that you can experience it here on this plane. I'll give you one more. A pilot may look hidden in the cockpit like he can't be seen, but what he does affects the passengers on that plane. See, you and I think our thoughts are hidden. (laughs) Because people don't always see them. But what we think about affects the other passengers in our lives. Your thoughts are the pilot of the plane. Who's steering? Tonight I want to jump into that with you. And I want to give you two secret, hidden, underrated disciplines that will change your life. I promise, straight from scripture, two disciplines that if you start to do these, you will experience a change in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now Psalm 1 is a psalm of King David. King David was one of the most introspective men in the Bible. This dude was tough on the outside, but he was tough on the inside. And he was soft. He was kind. He was gentle. He walked with the Lord. He prayed. He meditated. He fasted. He focused his mind on God. And he found great success in his ministry, even though he fell with Bathsheba. He experienced a lot of greatness in his ministry. He resembled Christ in many ways, largely because he was the man after God's own heart. If I can tell you anything, wherever you are, If you are willing to chase after God's heart, you will find it. If you are willing to chase after God's heart, you will find it. And he will slowly start to make your heart like his heart. See, these, there are many men in our culture today, including myself, who can learn a lot from David. See, we think that we've got to have this tough exterior, like we've got to be Mr. Cool Guy, like we've got to be cut off and reserved and unemotional. But that is probably as far as you could be from Christ. <laughs> Gossiping and being uh, this, this cool, restricted, uh, kept away guy was not how Jesus Christ did his ministry. See, we think we got to be attached to be tough. That's not true. See, King David was not detached. He was attached to Christ. And that's what impacted how he loved people. It's amazing. So that whole Mr. Cool Guy, Mr. Cool Girl, I'm, a, I'm detached, nothing phases me. It's not biblical. We're supposed to be real with who we are. We're supposed to love people and be. See, David was with sheep as a shepherd. He understood at a young age what it meant to be patient and to walk and to hear from God, to be led by still waters, to lie down in green pastures, to spend time with the Lord. Have you ever spent time with the Lord? Let him be your shepherd. And then have you ever gone in discipleship and done that for other people to shepherd their soul along the path? to God. And so tonight I'm excited to jump into it. Look at Psalm chapter 1 and then Psalm 119, starting first with Psalm 1. Verse 1, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. I hope you know that there's many people who would love to give you advice in your life. If it's not coming from scripture, it's bad advice. 
If it is coming from Scripture, it's good advice. If you want to know where people are steering you, is it in Scripture? Is it helping you become more like Jesus Christ? How happy will he be if he doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers? Keep this verse on the screen right here. Look at this. When I was journaling this verse, I literally wrote it out. Look what you see here. You probably wouldn't notice this if you didn't journal it out. But it says, how happy is the one who does not walk or stand or sit? You have three different things here. You have walk, you have stand, you have sit. See, it matters who you choose to walk your life with. Are you walking with Christ-like people or worldly people? It matters who you decide to stand by. Do you stand on the word of God or do you stand more firmly for political issues? Sit, literally, who do you rest your soul with? Do you rest your soul with the Lord? Do you rest your soul with Christ-like people? Or are you sitting and resting your soul in the company of mockers because they will make you like them? (laughs) Goodness gracious. We ain't even in the points yet. That's just three things. Walk, stand, sit. That's a sermon. Where are you doing these three things? Are you walking with the right people? Do you stand for the right things? Do you sit in the Lord's presence and rest? Now go to verse 2. Look at this. It takes a huge shift here. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's, look at this, instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. Jump into one, jump into Psalm 119, verses 15 to 16. Here he says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will not forget your word. Wherever you are, if you're with a group of people right now, would you pray with me? And ask to experience God tonight. Not a preacher, not a service, but the holy living spirit of God tonight. Heavenly Father, right now there are people through this camera who feel lonely, who don't know you, who know you but they're living like they don't. People who are struggling with things right now. Father, would you comfort them tonight? God, I do pray that we would meditate on this word tonight. God, I pray and ask that we would experience you tonight. We don't want to experience a preacher. We don't want to experience just a ministry. We don't just want to experience other people. We want to have an encounter with you tonight. God, we want to have an encounter with you tonight so that we must be changed. So, Father, let us be in your presence tonight. Do something only you can do tonight. We believe, we call out, knowing that you are a living God. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one, if you're taking notes, meditation and your thought life. The first thing that I want to jump in with you here is the idea of meditation and your thought life. Now, this is going to be on the screen. I want you to understand that, that most of us do not meditate, or if we do, we do it in a way that's worldly. But I want you to understand here, uh, on the screen it's going to say the word meditate in Psalm 1. It's from the Hebrew Hebrew word Haggai, and it means to murmur in pleasure or anger. There's many psalms we see of David where he is angry. In pleasure or anger, by implication to ponder, imagine, meditate, mourn, mutter, speak, study, talk, utter. There's a huge array here of meditation, but what you see is it is a pouring out. What I notice is that there is a pouring out from this Greek word. There is a pleasure, there is a joy, or there is a righteous anger. There is a, a 
imagination of who God's character is pouring out from your heart. That is what the word here is being used. Now, the first time meditation is used in the Bible is Genesis 24, verse 63. I'm I'm not going to read it to save time. Genesis 24, verse 63 is the first time you see meditation. And then in the New Testament, we actually see the apostles use the concept of meditation in their letters. Now, this is fascinating. This is a huge deal. Meditation means shutting your mind down to completely focus in on God. Now, I want to talk about the differences here between worldly meditation and scriptural meditation. There is a difference between these two. There's a difference between meditating in a worldly sense, Jeremy, and meditating in a scriptural sense. Here's what I mean. Many times meditation is recognized for another religious definition, such as, to engage in mental exercise, such as concentration on one's breathing or a repetition for the purpose of reaching a, a heightened level of spiritual awareness. In fact, Webster defines it as reaching a higher level of spiritual awareness. Uh, there's a difference here. I want you to understand this difference. Yes, breathing is a part of scriptural meditation. Yes, reflecting on oneself is a part of scriptural meditation in a sense. But that is not the core. That is not the main thing of scriptural meditation. See, it looked a lot different for the Jews back then. What happened was for the Jews is they would literally meditate on God's instruction. That's what's amazing about Psalm 1. He doesn't say that you delight in God's presence, which we do, that's true. But he literally says you delight in God's instruction. God's instruction comes from his word where he has instructed you how you're supposed to live and what you're supposed to do. That's where your delight is. What they would do back then is they would literally repeat these scriptures over and over and over and over. It was not this necessarily sit Indian style and and just breathe and and just think and just ponder off wherever and just kind of go on these rabbit trails. No, it was scripture. It didn't revolve around them. It revolved around scripture. They would literally repeat it over and over and over. Here's what you and me do in our quiet time. I know you do it because I do it. We read that chapter once. <laughs> I, some of you are like, okay, all right, all right. But for real, don't we? we re- okay, twice. Maybe twice. And then we do our hear journal and we move on. See, in ancient Jewish culture, they would read it and they would dwell in it. They would literally dwell in Scripture until Scripture dwelled in them. That's the difference between our culture. We skim, whereas they dwell. Like they would literally sit and meditate and dwell on the same part of God's word over and over. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Listen to me, college student, look at me. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. They would meditate over and over and over until the word got in them and it began changing them. From the inside out, they were different. Literally, that is scriptural meditation. It's not centered on you. I'm sorry. I know you want it to be. I know you want me to tell you just go and breathe and close your eyes and do whatever for 20 minutes. No, it was centered on scripture. You cannot scripturally meditate without scripture. You can't biblically meditate without the Bible. Like you need God's word. Even in our prayers, we need God's word to redirect our mind to make sure we're praying the way God has told us to pray. Jesus has given very specific instructions on how to pray. Now that's amazing. Now that's deep. And I want to give you Colossians 3.16 here. It says, I love this verse, one of my life verses. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude 
in your hearts. Colossians 3.16. We don't do this, though. And we need to. And the people around the world, the Christians around the world that are really thriving are meditating on Scripture. They are soaking it in that they are literally becoming Scripture. See, what we do in America, I do it too, is we treat Scripture like we're at the grocery store. Be honest, we do it a little bit. Even with sermons, we treat it like we're at the grocery store. See, when we go to the grocery store and we're shopping on a budget, we walk down those aisles and we say, ooh, I'll take some of this, but I I don't want some of that. Uh, Oh, Captain Crunch, this is my favorite cereal, but I'm going to leave that trick cereal. I don't want none of that stuff. And we take what we want, we leave what we don't want. We can't do that with the Bible. See, we don't get to just walk up and down these pages and take what we like and leave what we don't like. You can't just listen to a sermon and take what you like and don't take what you don't like. If it's all scriptural, we need all of it. Every single bit. Because we can't just meditate on the verses we like. (laughs) Many of us are prone to meditating on verses that don't instruct us to do something. The verses that are just comforting and, and good, and we need those verses. But what about meditating on the verses where Paul is talking over and over about lost souls in this world dying and going to hell? Oh, Daniel, come on, man. Don't go there. Don't, don't say the H word. Don't talk about hell. But people are literally dying and going there. Even during quarantine, we act like hell closed down. <laughs> That's not in my notes. But seriously, we act like hell closed down because of the quarantine and people aren't going there. Really? I told our leaders a few moments ago, if we believe in evangelism, we'll find a way. And that's to me as well, right here. Man, if I really believe in sharing Jesus, I'll find a way. We're so connected. I'll find a way. Most of us, we don't meditate. And this is what I want you to write down. This is a big part I want you to take from this verse. This is so important. Meditation is not about becoming more aware and connected to yourself. It's about becoming more more aware and connected to Jesus. Sorry, my eyes went blank looking at the screen. It's been, a, it's been a long Monday. Meditation is not about becoming more aware and connected to yourself. It's about becoming more aware and connected to Jesus. That's a huge difference between the world and what we have. In other words, give up yourself and find Jesus because the only way to ever find yourself is to find Jesus. I would tell you, you cannot find yourself apart from Jesus Christ. Literally, to find your life, you have to lose it. You have to give it away. You have to say, enough. Seth Graham, one of our leaders, just taught us a few hours ago on the word, and his, his title was amazing. His title was, Do You Know What You're Signing Up For? <laughs> and I love that title because it was about Jesus, about following Jesus. And he asked this question. He's like, guys, do you think you realize what you signed up for? <laughs> you know, some of you out there, it's a gut check. Do you realize what you signed up for? It means giving up you in order to find Jesus in your meditation. It's not just about becoming more aware of your feelings. That's important. It's important. But it's not more important than finding Jesus and what he wants. Now, I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, and I I read Mere Christianity again about a couple weeks ago. And he says something in that book that is so crazy. I'm taking a few sentences here. It's not a full quote. It's a chopped up quote. But look at this on the screen from C.S. Lewis, from Mere Christianity. To become new men means losing what we now call ourselves. Out of selves into Christ we must go. We are to think his thoughts, to have the mind of Christ. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. That's a paradox. That's crazy. That doesn't make sense. See, it's until you have given up yourself to him that you will not have a real self. 
Go on. Look for yourself. And you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ. And you will find him. And with him, everything else, me adding here, that you could ever need in this world thrown in. But we enjoy meditating on us. In fact, probably 90% of our thoughts, maybe more, are about us. And so if we think about us all the time, of course we're going to meditate about us. But we've got to get us out of the way for Jesus. (laughs) Even worse though, if I could be real with you, we meditate on sin. And that's dangerous. Meditating on sin is dangerous. Because what I would pose to you is this. We think it doesn't hurt us, but we let our mind be consumed with, with lust and jealousy and, and greed and money and all these things. And some of them aren't even necessarily bad, but the love of them is bad. We think it doesn't hurt us. But if the nature of God is truth and holiness, watch this. If the nature of God is truth and holiness, when we allow our minds to meditate on sin, we're allowing our minds to meditate on the things of the devil. That's scary. And that's real. Because if the devil's nature is deceit and sin, then when we meditate on that jealousy, when we meditate on that sin and that lust, we're literally meditating on what Satan would call his own values. Don't meditate on Satan's values. Don't think on it. Flee. Run. Get away because it will ruin your life. You have to let God give you a heart that doesn't just hate sin, but literally hates the thought of sin. Let him give you a heart that doesn't just hate sin. It hates the thought of sin. Our original idea tonight, the Lord of your thoughts is the Lord of your life, meaning if another person dominates your thoughts, it's likely that that person dominates your life. And that's scary. A lot of you are in relationships. A lot of you are getting, wanting to get married one day, and you're wanting to advance into these next stages of life. And for some of you, you think about the person you like or the person you're dating a lot more than you think about God. That's dangerous. That means they are the ruler of your mind, not God. Because if they control most of the thoughts, then they're at the control board. <laughs> And that's dangerous because even though they may be, man, you love them and they ain't never done nothing bad to you, they're still a human, they're still going to fall short, they're still going to sin. And if they're at the control board of your mind, then when they fall, you fall. It's dangerous. Who's the ruler of your mind? Ask that question. Write it down in your notes. Besides God, who is in most competition for your mind? Some of you may say the devil. You feel him lying to you. Some of you may say, I know I'm giving it to my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I'm giving it to my friends and their opinion of me too much. Those are competing with God. There's comparison competing with God. Cut it off. You will be so much happier, so much more joyful. I want to give you two things to meditate on here. Straight from our verses tonight. A is God's way. In other words, who God is. God's way. What is his way of doing things? What is his nature? What is his character? Who is he? Meditate on who God is. Because when you learn who God is, you'll learn what God does. Meditate on who he is. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. Think about his ways. B is God's will. Who God instructs you to be. When you realize who God is, you'll realize who he's calling you to be. Some of you want to know what to do in your life. You want to know where to go. David says he delights in the Lord's instruction. 
that he tells you what to do. But obeying God's commands starts with a heart and a mind that knows his commands. Grace Wade in the middle school ministry gave me a book and I was reading through it. And one of the quotes from that book this weekend that I was looking at says that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So if you're struggling to love Jesus Christ, you've got to ask the question, how much does your mind truly know him? Do you know his faithfulness? Do you know his, his sovereignty? Do you know his, that he is the, in other words, he's the supreme ruler? Do you know that he is, is all over all and he's over all creation? Do you know Jesus here? Because God will give you truth here for it to travel here. And then for it to travel from your mouth to other people. God never communicates truth that he doesn't intend to travel. Everything he gave them in Deuteronomy was all about the later generations loving the Lord their God with all their heart. He gave them the law to go to generation after generation after generation. He's showing you through things in your life right now that he's wanting you to carry to your children. I know you're not thinking that big, but you need to. You need to be thinking, what am I doing right now that could benefit my children one day? What is God teaching me? What can I write down and put on paper? How can I impact my future family? If you're not thinking about those things, you're missing out on God moments. So what's your thoughts? Are you winning that battle or are you losing that battle? Who is the Lord? Who is the ruler of your thoughts? Now, I want to move into something here. And I don't want you to quit on me. There's many of you out there like, yeah, I love this. Woo, I'm a big fan. And some of you are out there, oh, please don't do it. But number two, meditation and journaling. There it is. Journaling. <laughs> journaling. Some of you are like, okay, uh, this is where I tune off. <laughs> this is where I exit the stream. I hate writing in and of itself. I don't like writing papers. I don't like writing essays. I don't like typing text messages. I'm sure not going to write down on paper. But Journaling, can you imagine? It seems so far off for some of you. Some of you are like, oh, writing when it's not graded? <laughs> like, yes, journaling. Have you ever thought about it before? Do you hate it? <laughs> Do you have a misconception about what it is? Uh, for some of you guys, you're like, I'm not carrying a diary. <laughs> you're like, I do not want to write down on paper. I'm not doing that. Some of you, there's tough guys out there right now like, oh, I'm not writing in a journal. <laughs> like, okay, all right, you're missing out. I used to be that guy. I used to be that guy in college who was too cool to write stuff down on paper. I missed out on a lot of things. We're getting practical here. We're switching off of that deep theology we was talking about. We're getting practical here. Journaling. Do you write anything down? Now, when your mind is meditating on Christ, if you're truly meditating on Christ, there's going to be so many things you're going to learn that it's easy to forget. If you don't put things down on paper, you will forget things that God has taught you. We write handwritten notes to friends all the time, but many of us don't ever write to God. You say, Daniel, that sounds a little silly, but it's true. Have you ever written to God? It's one of the most powerful things. Again, many of us bypass a text message and a call. Think about it for a minute. Walk with me here. Many of us bypass a text message and a call to write a letter to someone. Why? Because in our heart to hearts, we know writing a letter has a little bit different feeling than a call or a text message sometimes, doesn't it? Do you think that could be the case with journaling to God? That sometimes just talking or sometimes just sitting in silence, maybe, just maybe, I know this is crazy, but maybe it'll mean a lot to your heart and he'll reveal things to you. Now that's a crazy idea. Did you know that experts estimate that the mind, watch this, the mind thinks between 60,000 and 80,000 thoughts a day. Did you hear that? 
Your mind thinks on average 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's an average of 2,500 to 3,300 thoughts per hour. Just in this sermon, there's a potential that you literally thought 3,000 thoughts so far. Is that not crazy? How are you keeping up with those? Now, I don't want you to just take my word. I want to give you someone that I trust. I love this guy, and I want you to hear from him. This is very important. Uh, right now, I'm going to bring Will Evans up to the stage. And I got a couple questions that I'm going to ask Will Evans about journaling. And this is so huge. Uh, Will, you can come on up here, big dog. Will Evans is one of our college students. He is involved with us on our serve team. He, is, he loves the Lord. He has a heart for the Lord. Uh, thank you, Jacob. Gosh. Uh, Will, how you doing, bud? Let me give you this right here. Tell us who you are and what Yeah, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Will Evans. I'm a, I guess I just finished up my freshman year at Memphis and uh, I'm studying uh, organizational leadership. What did you say? Organizational leadership. Yeah, a lot of people uh, don't really know what that is. Basically what it is is, um, I guess, <laughs> I really don't Don't you don't love know. when you describe a major and you're like, well, basically it's, <sighs> <laughs> basically how to lead well in an organization. I guess it's kind of self-explanatory. Yeah, it's organizing as a leader. I'm yeah. with you. I don't know what that means. But he goes to University of Memphis. He's a great guy. And, Will, you just recently started journaling. And you're a guy. You're a tough guy, right? You got your diary with you up here, man? No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I got mine up here. Though. I got my diary. Man, you just recently started. I mean, it was almost just, what, a month ago maybe, Max? Uh, what was it that clicked in your mind that made you want to start journaling? Uh, so I think the biggest thing that made me want to start journaling was quarantine hit. And I realized a lot of stuff started to slip. And one of the biggest things that started to slip was my prayer life. And so I decided that, man, that's got to change. And so a lot of different people were telling me to start journaling. Um, and even Daniel was pushing me to journal. And then a big influence was this guy named Garrett Whitehorn. He really pushed me to journal. Um, and so for those of you that don't know him, he's definitely, I mean, he's, he's, he's a big, tough guy. I mean, he's not girly at all. So... So, yeah, that's, that was the biggest thing that kind of pushed me to journal. Absolutely. So you've started, you've been journaling, and you've been writing down different stuff like prayers and, and things that's going on in your life. Tell us how it impacted you. How has it impacted your soul and your walk with Christ? So, yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing that I guess has been the biggest impact on my life through journaling is the fact that it's no longer G these throw-up prayers that I give to the Lord. They're genuine, well-thought-out prayers that, man, I value my time with the Lord, and so I'm going to write them out. And then another big thing that I love about journaling is that a week from just me journaling, I can look back on all the answered prayers uh, that God has done in my life. Um, because in reality, we don't realize how much God is in our life. He does, we don't realize all these prayers that we have for him how much he really answers so quick. Um, for me, I noticed that I'll look back and I'll realize that I forgot that I even prayed about that. Yeah. And I can already see an answered prayer. And then honestly, another thing, it started out as just journaling my prayers, but now I'm journaling what's going on in my life. I've now gotten to the point to where it's not just a prayer to God, it's me writing down, hey, here's what's going on in my life, here's what I'm struggling with, and here's how I get through that. And that way, a year from now or a couple months from now, I can look back and see, man, what was I struggling with and how did I get through that? 
That's really good. And listen, uh, I know many of you are in the same boat that Will was talking about. You pray a lot, but you don't always see God answer those prayers. Uh, it might be that he's answered those prayers. You just haven't written it down. <laughs> you just haven't seen it. And so if you want to experience God, sometimes it's as simple as writing down what you're praying and then writing down how he answered that prayer. Uh, Will, let me ask you this. What were some common things you thought about journaling that kept you from doing it? Yeah, so a lot of, I mean, kind of what you were saying earlier, the biggest things that kept me from journaling was writing. Um, a lot of my friends know that I don't like to write. I don't like to write for school. Um, and so that was my biggest, I guess, um, push away from journaling was writing. And then the second thing, you said it as well, that it would be very girly to write in a journal. Um, and all the TV shows that I've ever seen someone journal, it's always been the girl. Um, but I've actually gotten to the point now where when I'm praying to God, it's not just, it, it's, I'm writing, dear God. Um, so if you want to call it a diary, call it a diary, but it is something that has really changed my life. Absolutely. And, and listen, uh, that's a misconception from our culture that guys don't journal. It's a misconception that keeps a lot of people from journaling. But uh, what you learn, what we talked about with David is he had a soft soul and he was kind. And he, he, these, we have these psalms that show how he spoke to God. And if you're not, you're missing out on journaling. I want to tell you, you got someone telling you right now that you're missing out on it. And what would you say to them? Uh, Will, there's people watching all over the world right now who are college students just like you. Uh, what would you say to them, someone who hasn't journaled? Uh, what would you, why would you encourage them to do it? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing that I would encourage to people that don't journal is don't knock it until you try it. Um, there's so much that you can get from journaling that you don't even realize until you try it. You can hear from people all the time, oh, it will change your life. But until you try it, you will never know what it's like to journal and what it can do for your life. Um, and, for example, Dakota has started to journal now. And I was telling him earlier, he was saying that he's only journaled once this week. And Garrett told me once that it's not always about how much you journal. It's just about how genuine those journals are, how genuine those prayers are to the Lord. Um, because when they're all genuine, you'll be able to look back and see, man, I, my time, my walk with the Lord had improved so much just from journaling, and I didn't even realize it. Absolutely. That's so good, Will. And, you know, we just we want to be real, and we want to address the issues that we face, and, and that's one of those things, that journaling will benefit your soul. But don't let some misconception in culture keep you from it. And then wherever you are, whoever you are, Share your journals with other people when you feel prompted to. You know, that's one of the things I'm sure you would tell them, too, is sharing some of your journals is super powerful. Let me give you these three things real quick. I want you to write these down. These three things, what to journal, and we'll hit on some of them. A is answered prayer, or oh, prayers and answered prayers. Will talked about this a moment ago. One of the most powerful things, and what I have up here is I have two journals of mine. Uh, I love journaling. I didn't always love it. I used to think I had to be Mr. Cool and not do it. But I have this journal that I just started, and it's a small journal. And what I use this for is prayer requests from other people. You have a lot of people text you and call you and ask you, hey, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And what do we do? We say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then one, we never pray for them. Or two, we never follow up with them on how that prayer went. I've got to do a better job of that, and I'm the pastor. I know that you and I do. So I use this small one where if somebody gives me a prayer request, I'm able to jot it down. But even more than that, one thing for that I use for my personal life is this journal right here. 
This is where I write down my personal prayers and my answered prayers. I put the date I prayed it and the date it gets answered. (laughs) And it's amazing to see how many prayers God will answer. Listen, if you are out there and you want to experience God, start writing. You will be amazed. Let me give you B, reflection and God's response. Now let me get practical here. What that looks like is starting with the question of how am I doing today? There is a place for us to journal about ourselves and about how we're doing. This is a great place for it. How am I doing today? And then look at what the second thing says. What is God's truth to this? Now that's amazing because if you just write down how you're doing, then your emotions are king. Your emotions are Lord. Emotions are great, but they are not a good Lord. (laughs) They are not a good ruler. But when you follow up with the question, what is God's truth to this? You're telling yourself every day that God's word is your ruler. God's word is the Lord of your mind. So that means when I write down, man, I'm feeling insecure today. I'm feeling worried today. I'm feeling anxious today. What's God's truth to this? I follow it right back up with scripture. Be anxious about nothing. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of Christ and everything will be added to you that you need. You follow it up with truth. So how are you doing? You know, some of you, and this isn't in my notes. I don't know who this is for. Some of us, be real, Will, in college, what we do is we, we walk around bottling emotions up. We bottle anger up. We bottle these expectations we have for other people inside of us. And then we never put it on paper or we never pray about it. And then when we get angry, it comes out on the people closest to us. Isn't that what we do? Listen, if you will start writing some of those things down on paper, you get it out of you and you get it here. Don't let it just sit on your heart. Get it on paper so that the Lord can deal with it. That's an amazing thing. Uh, The last one I wanna give you, and this is really from me, is memories and moments. You heard Will mention this, memories and moments. This is such a cool concept. This is so cool. And uh, I'm doing great on time tonight, which is great. I didn't know how I was going to do, but I'm doing great on time tonight as well. Uh, Props to me. You know, that's the only thing I'll give myself credit for. That might even be bad. It's all God. God has kept me on time tonight. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Uh, One thing I do, and some people say it's weird, but I love to do it, is I use this journal. Lock in with me here. This may be one of the most important things you hear. I write to God, and I write about you know, how I'm feeling and what the God's truth is to that. I write it all down. But one thing I do is I write out moments from my life, moment by moment. Uh, One that I'll give you, one that I tell you all the time is the moment I got saved at that park at midnight. Some of you have heard me say that over and over and over again. The reason why I remember that moment so clearly is because I have written it out a dozen times. It's not just something I think about. I've written out that moment a dozen times. I write out how I felt that night as I drove to the park. I felt fearful. I felt anxious. I felt alone like a lot of college students do. I felt beaten down. I felt burdened. I remember those emotions because I put them on paper. I remember what it was like walking through that park carrying the Bible, not knowing what the Bible said. I remember not knowing anything in scripture except Daniel and the lion's den, and I only knew that because it was my name. (laughs) I remember laying down on the ground, opening my Bible to Jeremiah, and reading a verse in chapter 15 that says, if you return to me, I will restore you. I remember reading that because I wrote it down. I remember the feeling, the sensation I had when I repented of my sins and I gave my life to Jesus Christ at this park at midnight. I remember it because I've written it out a dozen times. I remember how freeing it was when I got up off the ground and realized that all my sins have been paid for. My Savior loves me and I have a new life to live. Have you ever done that? Man, that'll change your life. Write out your salvation moment. I was seven years old. You'd be surprised what you remember when you write out stuff from your childhood. If you were seven years old, write it out. You'll start remembering things about your salvation moment you never thought you would. 
Write out moments that meant a lot to you. It doesn't just have to be something, it doesn't have to be something overly spiritual. There's moments when I was a basketball coach at the high school level that I would write out huge moments with players where I encouraged them or they encouraged me. Would you write those things out? You see David do that all through the Psalms. He's writing out experiences with God, experiences in his life. Let me tell you something. It will have an impact on your soul. All through scripture, you see leaders who are introspective. You see it. They thought a lot and they gave their thoughts to God. He was their ruler. You see it all through scripture. Jesus being the top. Jesus Christ obeyed the Father's will. He thought about heaven. Everything he was doing was about heaven and getting us there. Jesus walked with a mind that was ruled by the Father and ruled by heaven and his life showed for it. That's how Jesus Christ lived and he did it for you. He walked this earth. He died for your sins. He rose from the grave three days later so that you could experience new life. For some of you, you've never gotten saved before and tonight's the night. You need to repent of your sins. You need to give your life to Jesus and experience the joy that me and Will have, not because of anything about us, but because of Jesus Christ. There is no joy I give myself. It all comes from Jesus Christ. That night at the park had nothing to do with me except my repentance. Some of you, tonight's the night you need to do that. And then some of you, Christians, he's calling. Jesus, as it says in Revelation, is knocking at the door. Wanting back into your heart and wanting back into your mind. He's wanting to be the Lord of your thoughts again instead of all these other little things that belong below him. Will you give your mind back to him? Will you give your thoughts back to him and let him be the Lord of your thoughts so that he is the Lord of your life? Hey, if you're out there and you want to get saved tonight, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And for all the Christians who are watching, we would love for you to pray right now that someone would repent of their sins. But if you're watching, and maybe you're alone, you never thought you'd do something like this. You've heard of Jesus, but you don't know much about him. If you want to give your life to him, for him dying on the cross and paying for your sins and resurrecting from the grave, you got to repent. You give your life, you you repent of those sins. You give them to God. You say, I'm turning from this lifestyle. You confess with your mouth that he is Lord. And then you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. If you pray that and you mean it in your heart, in your soul, you will be saved. Pray something like this. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that your son died for me. God, I am a sinner. I have broken the commands and your law. I have done things I'm ashamed of. And I repent of these sins. I turn from them. I give them to you. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I confess him as Lord. And I believe in my heart that you, God, raised him from the dead. Save me, God. Save me right now, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.